HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Nyman Ranch. I'm Paul Willis, a fifth-generation farmer and co-founder of Nyman Ranch Pork Company. Learn more about us at nymanranch.com. Welcome to The Big Food Question, a podcast exploring the most urgent questions from a food industry in crisis. I'm Hannah Forden, HRN's program manager and one of the producers of this show. This episode was produced in collaboration with The Counter, a nonprofit, independent, nonpartisan newsroom investigating the forces shaping how and what America eats. Today, we're asking, why are undocumented workers on hunger strike? Cathedral's towering. I don't know if you've ever been on the, if you drive up, I think, Amsterdam. It's this gorgeous, ornate, and intricate uh, building. Um, the steps are very, very wide, so it can encompass a large group of people um, who can still socially distance from each other. That's Jessica Fu. She's a reporter for The Counter. On Tuesday, March 16th, she was outside of St. John the Divine in Manhattan. The cathedral was the first stop for demonstrators taking part in the Fast for the Forgotten hunger strike. Jessica published a story for The Counter after visiting the strike and speaking with participants and organizers. There's a link to that piece in the show notes. Protesters are calling for government relief to be provided to New Yorkers passed over by federal pandemic payments due to their immigration status or history of incarceration. There were approximately, at the time I was there, I think around 30 to 40 people on the steps of the church. New York is estimated to be home to about half a million undocumented immigrants, according to a 2017 report from the mayor's office. These individuals play a crucial role in not just the state's economy and workforce, but also in its culture and community. There were street vendors and there were food delivery workers. There were actually um, also taxi drivers who were there, um, they've been calling for debt relief as well. There were people who work as cleaners, as uh, security um, for, for private companies and uh, construction workers, domestic workers. Undocumented immigrants don't have access to social security numbers or tax ID numbers. And so despite being integral to the workforce, they have not received unemployment benefits or COVID relief payments. 
Formerly incarcerated folks, regardless of their immigration status, have also missed out on this financial support. So it was one week ago that I actually attended the hunger strike. It was actually um, maybe 11 a.m., so exactly uh, a week ago. I spoke with Jessica on Tuesday. Today is Friday. The hunger strike in Manhattan has been going on for 11 days, and a parallel protest in Westchester is on day eight. According to a piece in Slate from 2014 that's a so-called Hunger Strike 101, going without food for even three to five days can be dangerous. Once a fast reaches the three-week mark, it can be deadly. But from the infamous 1981 IRA hunger strike, to Mahatma Gandhi's fasts in resistance to the British Empire, it's undeniable that refusing food is a powerful political choice. Hunger strikes are a protest of last resort. They communicate the dire need felt by these communities. And there's a lot of symbolism there. Undocumented workers play an essential role in feeding the U.S., from farm work to food service to delivery. Now, many of the folks who feed us are going without food in order to be heard by government leaders. One of the things that was really, really drove home this symbolism at the protest was these big empty pots that the strikers had laid out on the steps of the cathedral. Um, And an organizer told me that these pots represent um, the strikers' role in the food system, the fact that they work in kitchens and along the food supply chains, um, but it also represents the fact that a lot of them are struggling with food insecurity because of lost income during the pandemic. The New York State Senate and Assembly are in the process of finalizing the state budget, which will include some form of relief to New Yorkers who have missed out on unemployment and stimulus checks. But strikers say they haven't allocated enough resources to address the need. Lawmakers are currently deliberating on the budget. I think their deadline is April 1st. And right now, they have earmarked $2.1 billion to establish what's called an excluded worker fund. Um, This would be a pot of money specifically for people who did not qualify for unemployment insurance or um, stimulus checks. And that would cover, you know, people who don't have social security numbers, people who are undocumented. It would also include uh, the formerly incarcerated who are ineligible in most cases for unemployment benefits. Um, And it would also cover families whose primary breadwinner died during the COVID-19 crisis, but um, can't access unemployment benefits. So it's, it's pretty broad and it would help a lot of people who maybe haven't been able to access the same benefits that a lot of Americans have during the pandemic. Protesters and the grassroots organizations who have helped facilitate the strike are asking that state leaders step in to fill the gaps in federal pandemic relief. The issue that the organizers of the hunger strike have is that they don't believe it's enough. Um, They want to see $3.5 billion set aside. That's a calculation they made that they believe will allow everyone who falls into the categories I just listed to access. $3,300 a month, which is what the fund would give eligible workers. FundExcludedWorkers.org gives a breakdown of the strikers' demands. One, quote, 
flat rate cash payments direct to New Yorkers, equivalent to the minimum unemployment benefit in New York, plus federal unemployment boost that all eligible unemployed Americans have received. Two, quote, monthly payments retroactive to the start of the COVID-impacted unemployment crisis through the end of the state of emergency. Three, quote, flexible application and proof requirements given the urgent crisis situation, including self-attestation and income loss. The organization cites that with higher taxes on the rich, which are included in the new budget, the state would be able to afford more to excluded workers. The office of Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins did not respond to my request for comment, so at the moment I don't know their reasoning behind the amount currently set aside for excluded workers. Direct relief to Americans who have been eligible for federal funds through stimulus checks and unemployment benefits have provided important support at a time when making rent and putting food on the table is challenging for many. The issues faced by workers excluded from those payments are all the more dire. One of the reasons why supporting excluded workers and and giving them cash assistance is so important is because it will help uh, the economy in New York State overall. Um, Just think about uh, undocumented workers who might have to rely on food pantries during periods of food insecurity. that's, that's a, a strain, I think, um, a, a proponents have argued. Um, it, it keeps them from being able to buy food at grocery stores and therefore support grocery stores and put money into like independent uh, retail sites like in their community maybe. It might cause a strain on, on food pantries and food banks, which are seeing enormous demand right now um, and sometimes not being able to meet the needs of everyone who's, who's showing up to get food and get their basics. And there are, I spoke with a few workers at the strike who talked about how they haven't been able to make rent and haven't been able to pay their bills and how cash assistance would be able to help them do that, which brings money into uh, you know, the housing market, I guess, um, as well as um, allows them to pay off Payoff debts can be that can be really crushing, and make life just overall uh, untenable for many. So, uh, I think proponents of the bill and and people participating in the hunger strike see this cash assistance, you know, not only as something that will help lift them out of debt, but also help them better participate and contribute to, you know, the housing that they use and the utilities they use and the uh, the food that they need to buy just to survive. The current proposal takes important steps towards reaching the most vulnerable residents. It is, however, $1.4 billion short of what strikers and advocates demand. On Tuesday, March 23rd, hunger strikes rallied outside of State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousin's office in White Plains to speak up for the additional funds. But so far, it doesn't seem like there's been much response. I've been tracking the protesters on Twitter under the hashtag FundExcludedWorkers. Photos of several mayoral hopefuls pop up as they show support for the protesters. As I mentioned, I reached out to the Senate leadership about whether or not they plan to make adjustments to their budget, but as of the time of this episode's release, I have not heard back. Stepping back from the discrepancy in the amount of relief offered, 
The question remains, how will these funds be allocated? Folks without tax ID numbers or social security numbers can't just expect to see a check deposited in their account. And many may be hesitant to divulge their immigration status to state authorities. So for the government, what does success look like? Will they be able to reach those who need relief most? Since I didn't hear back from Senate officials, I asked Jessica to walk me through the bill. Yeah, I think that's what kind of makes this proposal kind of unique and unprecedented in its nature. Um, I believe that the, I, 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 it's a great question because I've been wondering it myself and I've been wondering how this thing might get um, carried out. <clears throat> Practically speaking, um, I understand that there are a number of ways that workers can prove their eligibility. Um, and one of those ways is to, is to, uh, is by a self um, testimony saying that this is something that they've suffered. Um, They haven't been able to access unemployment benefits. They haven't been able to, uh, despite, you know, work records that they can also provide. Um, One of, I'm just thinking right now about my own research and reading of the bill. My understanding is that applicants to the program do have to provide uh, evidence of their identity, Um, And if they don't have a social security number, an individual taxpayer identification number, um, that is something I believe they can be issued even if they are not authorized to work in the United States. It seems like the proposal aims to create a program that would have requirements uh, that bolster someone's uh, claim or application for this kind of cash assistance. Uh, But because it's still in its... uh, non-finalized form, I imagine that will change and maybe the the requirements will be shored up. This bill leaves me with a lot more questions than answers, like will undocumented immigrants be protected from deportation if they come forward to collect their relief payments? And what forms of ID or proof of employment will actually be accepted? Will folks need to have a bank account to be eligible? I don't know the answers yet. And the hunger strike continues. My understanding from speaking with the organizers is that um, a coalition of churches have kind of come together to house the strikers on a rotating basis. So uh, they launched the strike at the cathedral on the Upper West Side last week, um, and they went to a church, I think near Washington Square Park afterwards for the first week, and they might be moving soon to another church uh, for, for the next phase of the strike, which from what I heard from workers, will go on as long as they need to go on um, until their demands are met. How this all ends will be determined in the next week or so, and as the state budget is finalized. While the state is working to offer multiple avenues for folks to access relief money, a resolution does not seem to be on the horizon between protesters and state leadership. To keep up with the status of the strike, you can follow Make the Road New York, fund-excluded workers, and street vendor project on social media. Thanks for listening to The Big Food Question. We'll include a link to Jessica's story on the strike in this week's show notes. Give it a read for more details and firsthand experience of the strike. Stick around to hear what makes our show possible.
My name is Paul Willis. I'm a fifth generation hog farmer and I owned and operated the Willis Free Range Pig Farm for over 41 years. I've dedicated my life to revitalizing sustainable hog farming methods in the Midwest and moving farms away from the common industrial practices. In 1998, I established the Nyman Ranch Pork Company. I'm proud to say Nyman Ranch has since grown into a network of over 740 independent family farmers and ranchers today. At Nyman Ranch, our animals are raised with care. We believe that the quality of an animal's life impacts the quality of the meat. Our high standards were developed with the help of animal welfare expert, Dr. Temple Grandin, and are among the strictest in the industry. All of our animals live outdoors or in deeply bedded pens, and they're never given antibiotics or added hormones ever, and are only fed a high quality 100% vegetarian diet. Whether they're raising hogs, cattle, or lamb, Nyman Ranch farmers and ranchers share our commitment to traditional farming, raising livestock in the way our parents and grandparents did, and supporting our rural communities. We share a common belief that humane and sustainable methods produce the best possible flavor. Learn more about our work at Nyman Ranch at nymanranch.com. Don't forget to subscribe to The Big Food Question wherever you listen to podcasts. Check back often as we discuss critical questions from eaters, operators, and workers across food topics and business sectors. If you have questions you'd like the show to answer, email us at question at heritageradionetwork.org. Special thanks for this episode to Jessica Fu. Listen in next week as she comes back to talk to us about more pressing food policy issues. The Big Food Question is produced by Katie Mosman-Wadler, Kat Johnson, Dylan Hoyer, Matt Patterson, Hannah Forden, and Luke Griffin. This episode was executive produced by me, Hannah Forden. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder, and The Big Food Question is powered by Simplecast. The content of this series is provided for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. You should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this content. This project is funded in part by a Humanities New York CARES grant with support from the National Endowment for the Humanities and the Federal CARES Act. This program is also supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with City Council. The Big Food Question is produced by Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio.